Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Let us see what the future holds. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the premiere episode of What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. I am only one of your hosts. I am Brandy Jackola, and with me is also Chris Littlefield. Hi, Chris. Hello. (laughs) Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. I'm so excited you're here. <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm just super excited. I'm super excited. Um, I'm trying to be professional, yeah. but I'm excited. So I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. And thank you for uh-huh. being a regular host. And also, we have a third host, but not, what? you know, last but not least, Dave Jackala. Dave, welcome Hi, to Dave Star Trek. mentioned before. <laughs> I am here. Yeah, Dave is my <laughs> husband, uh, obviously. But uh, oh, you could have assumed he was my brother with the same last name, but no, he's could. my husband. And uh, Dave has never been on a Star Trek podcast as a regular host before, so this is a new experience. No, not as a host, as a guest, but never as a host. I know it's very exciting. Yeah, all of this excitement. So yeah. So this is your uh, go-to <laughs> Star Trek Discovery podcast. No, there are a bunch out there. They're all, you know, the rising star powers all starships. Rising sun. That's it. Your red angel <laughs> of podcasts. <sighs> yeah. Okay. No. Kind of. No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the red angel. Or am I? <laughs> or are you one of them? <laughs> yes, there's multiple red <laughs> angels. Mm-hmm. Maybe I built a time travel suit. You don't know. Did you create a paradox? I'll never tell. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, those time paradoxes. (laughs) Damn it. Those time paradoxes, I say. All right. We need a temporal edict. (laughs) We do. I'm glad you said temporal. Some people say temporal, and I know they've said both on screen. No, it's temporal. But I always say temporal. I think it's... Yeah. From doing biology, because you have your temporal lobe, your temporal bones. Oh, yeah. The temporal artery, temporary, et cetera, et cetera. yeah. <laughs> so it's it's weird when people say temporal, but I've heard it, yeah. on screen, pretty sure. I'm sure that you have, but whatever. Sounds like a kind of dessert. Temporal. I can order of temporal. <laughs> the side of fish okay, sauce. Okay, we'll be back from ten hours earlier. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just like Miles O'Brien replacing himself. His future self replacing oh. his past self and now oh, new Miles O'Brien. We don't talk about that. <laughs> okay, that'll come into play in the next episode of the Vedic Assembly. What we're going to do today is getting to know us as podcasters. People probably know me, probably know Chris, don't know Dave very much. But one mm-hmm. thing that I don't know is either of your Star Trek history. So let's begin with you, Chris. Tell me about when you first became aware of Star Trek, how that fandom started for you. All right. Well, 
I first started watching TNG with my dad in high school, middle, whatever year it was, middle school, middle school. 1987. Mm, late elementary school. <laughs> and oh, I, that, I had to go way back. That was a lot of math. That was a lot of years to rewind. <laughs> so yeah, mm. late, late elementary school, my dad and I started watching TNG together and I loved it. And then one summer, during the run of the early part of the run of TNG, they started showing TOS episodes over the summer. They would show one every night, and I started watching the TOS episodes. Now, before that, my dad took me to see TNG films in the movie theater also. So I saw Wrath of Khan all the way on in the movie theater, not, not the motion picture. And so I guess maybe Wrath of Khan was the first thing that I saw. Would that make sense? Depending on the year it came yeah. out with, it was before TNG. So that was 82. Yeah. So it was Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock and then Voyage Home that I saw first. So that's actually, those are actually the first things that I saw. And I just kind of jumped on the bandwagon and when Generations came out, I was so excited and I just kept trekking and kept going and. And I've pretty much been a nonstop fan ever since. Oh. My dad jumped off the bandwagon after a little while because he's very conservative. And I think that Star Trek, it was just a little bit too much of a <laughs> secular, non-Christian-y view of things in his opinion. So he just kind of like checked out after a while. And they don't really understand how streaming services work. So they don't watch any of the new stuff yet. Mm, but there's so hope. basically, yeah, basically uh, didn't like all the equality. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, I think it's the godlessness, <laughs> but it's it's always yeah. been like that. That's that's mm -hmm. Trek's DNA. So I I think it's less about what Star Trek was doing and more about what he was doing. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. Excellent. All right, babe. All right. It's your turn. I want to hear your Star Trek beginnings. I remember it being on television. I didn't really sit down to watch it because it didn't interest me at the time. This is back when I was a wee one in Colorado. It was probably the original series movies that attracted me and got me interested in Star Trek, especially Wrath of Khan being replayed over and over again on home box office and also Star Trek 3 and... Voyage Home, those being like the main three. Every once in a while, I did see um, the motion picture in the theater and thought it was visually striking. But other than that, I don't recall much from my original viewing. Just remember it being kind of nifty to look at. But never quite got deep into the series. I caught episodes of Next Generation because people were watching it at home. And then when we married, we watched Voyager and Enterprise and you know, all these. Eventually, I sat down and watched all of Deep Space Nine and uh, really enjoy that series. And now with the recent Trek really getting into Discovery and enjoying Lower Decks. So Discovery really appeals to me for some reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really consider myself more of a casual fan. I won't be able to tell you what the name of whatever shuttle is and I can't tell you specifications or what number goes to what ship or what class of ship anything is 
Now, I might even get names wrong and stuff, but I do have an interest in speculative fiction and Star Trek being really essential to the whole science fiction thing, especially with its rather utopia kind of hopeful vision of the future really appeals to me. And I'm interested in you know how it deals with politics and philosophy and just social theory and all that stuff. So I'm drawn to it for those reasons. Nice. And I should mention that Dave does have a minor in philosophy, so oh, this is going to be he fun. Where he speaks, <laughs> yeah. I also have uh, a literary criticism degree, so <laughs> nice. <laughs> I can kind of take critical theory to reviewing things. He can. He's very good at that. Very, very good at that. You got a big juicy brain. Yeah, he does have a big <laughs> juicy brain. I love his brain. I got a. Was it a a wab? <laughs> <laughs> a what? A, a wet ass brain? <laughs> it's nice and juicy. Ew. Oh my god. <laughs> There's been too much talk about juicy brains, especially after that episode of the Umbrella Academy. Right. Oh, I haven't started that yet. <laughs> oh, did you see season one? I haven't seen any of it yet. Um. Okay. Well, watch season one, okay, and then watch season two. Season two is <laughs> logical. <laughs> we're almost we're almost done. We have a couple episodes left. We're not talking about Umbrella Academy. I'll quickly go over my Star Trek history because people may have heard it before. Uh, Star Trek was going on in my family before I was born, so I never really had a choice about being exposed to it. But I obviously could have chosen whether to watch it. So, uh, but we watched it as a family growing up. And a lot of my memories of my dad are, are really strongly tied to Star Trek in many iterations. I remember vividly the first time that I saw The Next Generation because I was sitting on the floor of the family room folding towels because that was the kid's job. Mom would come in, dump a bunch of towels on the floor, and we would fold all the towels in the very specific way that she wanted them folded. They had to be folded just right. And so I remember folding towels and watching the premiere episode of Next Generation. And I just was like, yay, more Star Trek. Because all we'd had for the first 14 years of my life, well, 13 and a half, was just the original series. And we, of course, went to the movies together. Uh, they would not take me to Wrath of Khan after uh, the Empire Strikes Back experience. So, hmm. yeah, I've told that story before. If somebody wants to hear me tell that story again, they can find one of the other podcasts. But it's, uh, <laughs> I think you even talked yeah. about it in the original headcanon episode, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. So that might yeah. be the easiest so, place to find it. Yeah, go find it in episode one of headcanon because uh, you will hear why I didn't get to go to a movie theater for three and a half years after The Empire Strikes Back. There was trauma involved. No trauma. There was... was trauma. It's my, it's my dad's fault, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. But I did see Wrath of Khan on home video, and then we saw all the rest of the movies in the theaters. Uh, and then, you know, people grew up, moved out, etc. But we all have still continued to watch Trek since then. So it's just always been a family affair. Your whole family still watches Trek? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. Everybody does. Nobody listens to any of my podcasts. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, your mom watches the live show, doesn't she? My mom does watch The Unready Room on Friday she nights. She does? Yes, she does. 
I didn't know that. So, because she she just said, "Oh, I I don't have sense enough to know how to get on." I said, "Mom, I'll just send you a link, okay? And then on your phone, all you have to do is just touch that link, and it'll take you to the show." And she was so excited. <laughs> so yeah, she watches those live shows now, even though she oh, hasn't nice. watched Discovery or Picard yeah. or Lower Decks. <laughs> it's. I all bet good. she loves seeing you do it though. She is very, very sweet about that, and she she always gets in touch with me after the live show to tell me how great I was. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, mom. I appreciate it. You know, and it's it's fine. Not my family doesn't have to follow everything that I do, but it's nice to have that support from my mom. Yeah, especially nice. when it comes to Trek stuff. So let us move into the beginnings of Discovery. I vaguely remember when it first started being announced, and I just thought. New Star Trek, huh? You're going to screw this up like you did Enterprise? <laughs> and by Enterprise, I don't mean that they screwed up Enterprise. I just mean that they didn't give it the chance that it needed. And they put it on a network where it was being constantly preempted in certain areas. And mm-hmm. in some areas wasn't even carried at all because the local affiliate chose not to carry it. So I feel like it didn't give that show a fighting chance. I don't think the production team gave it a fighting chance. I don't think the network team gave it a fighting chance so that's just how i feel about that yeah and it's a much better show than and deserved better for itself so i was kind of wary i was a little bit wary at first so dave what do you what do you remember speaking of enterprise just something i want to like attach to that is that just during quarantine and looking at twitter a lot of the younger Star Trek fans are getting into Enterprise and discovering how great it was <laughs> yes. and really appreciating it. You're starting to see a lot of fan art about people in the original jumpsuit uniforms, you know, the Enterprise so practical. uniforms. Yeah. So, yeah, Enterprise, you know, there's a lot of people discovering it. And, yeah, it's a better show than it was given credit for. So I've been really amazed at the number of people that I've heard lately say that that's their favorite Trek series. Or that's their first Trek series. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's so cool that that has such a special place in the in the Star Trek canon that Enterprise really has its own special, you know, it's it's some people's favorite. And I think that's amazing. It is amazing. I love that show. I, I, I do too. I have loved every Trek that has been out mm-hmm. except for two of the three Kelvin movies. I have loved all of them. And... Except for those two blemishes. <laughs> <laughs> Except for those two aberrations. <laughs> there we go. Which I actually like. So yeah, and that's and most people do, and that's great. See, that's the the thing. I will never fault the Kelvin timeline movies for existing because they brought so many new people into Trek, and that is never a bad thing. Never, never, yeah. never, never will be. So, though I personally don't enjoy the first two. A lot of people do, and a lot of people became fans because of it, and I can't argue against that at all. And so. it's like an amuse-bouche, right, <laughs> of Star Trek to me? <laughs> so it's like, yes. you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> it's like a dish that can be eaten in one bite and should ideally excite and prepare the palate for the dinner to come, <laughs> which is what we're in now. Nice. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> And I, I I do truly believe that based on the popularity of those of of the first film and the second film, that renewed interest in Trek helped bring about this new era of television Trek that we're getting right now. 
So yeah. again, cannot fault those movies. I don't wish that they were gone. I don't wish that they didn't exist. 2009 and Into Darkness are not my thing. Really enjoyed Beyond, which is usually the inverse of everybody else. Yeah. Everybody else tend to like 2009 and Into Darkness, didn't like Beyond. Oh, I do like Beyond the best. Yeah. But I like the other two also. I mm-hmm. just I just feel like in Beyond, they actually felt like a crew that had known each yeah. other and been through stuff. Whereas and it's a pretty movie. It's so pretty. I mean, it it's has its pretty. issues. That I just don't care. It's just fun. And it's pretty. Mm-hmm. And anytime I get to see Carl Urban as Dr. McCoy is just a gift. Mm-hmm. Just a gift. So I think gift. 2009 had an uphill battle because they had to have this coherent crew when it was telling an origin story. It's really mm-hmm. have to do one or the other. They're meeting each other and developing that relationship. Or they have that relationship to tell the story. And they tried to do both at once. And it just didn't Mm. quite work. Yeah, which is why Into Darkness didn't work for me. Because I didn't believe that Spock and Kirk had been there long enough, together long enough, to be for for Spock to be that upset at Kirk's death. It just, it just, I'm like, there's no basis for this. You haven't given me the backstory for this. You ha- they haven't been together long enough for this kind of reaction. That's just how I felt. No, I agree with that moment. I laughed out loud at that moment because <laughs> I, I thought it was freaking ridiculous. <laughs> I did, too. I did, too. Plus, you know, the whole ba- battling Khan thing. And they made Khan a sympathetic character? What? Yeah, he's a good guy in that. <laughs> and and quite Caucasian as well. Yeah, so, so Caucasian. So Caucasian, which... Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Just, it doesn't work, especially when he was, you know, launched into space on the Botany Bay in the 1990s. And when did the timelines diverge? The day Kirk was born. Mm-hmm. So how could he suddenly turn white is what I'm asking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Bleaching accident. <laughs> oh. <laughs> My God. <laughs> don't know <laughs> that's the headcanon for it yeah there we go anyway enough about into darkness um also the it whole, was nero's fault well the yeah the punch up with with con was just kind of like um you've got all these other people on the ship right now with the same blood don't you grab one of them yeah. but no we got to have a big punch up with con on this oh. loader thing flying through the air mm-hmm. okay i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop it's it's what it yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> not here to talk about the things that I don't like. We're here to talk about the things that I do like. So anyway, Dave, tell me what you thought when you heard about Discovery for the first time. Uh, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of trepidation. There's always some concerns. And then you hear about trouble behind the scenes about the writer you know, leaving the project over differences of opinion and that sort of thing. And so that doesn't generally make you feel too confident in some kind of series when it's like with the live action last airbender, you know, the Mm -hmm. avatar series when the creators left that project because of differences of opinion. You're like, well, it's not going to be the showrunners, you know, the original writer's conception so what are we going to get in its stead you just don't know 
what we got was a whitewashed version of a bunch of Asian and black people. Yeah. That's what we got. Well, that was the film. There's the television series that were having a similar issue. Oh, they I want see. to do a darker take on the character. They oh, want you're to talking more... about the new one. Yeah, the television series, the live action television series where they want it right. to be more Game of Thrones-ish. No. It just doesn't fit the tone. No. And so, no. yeah, whenever Don't you hear that. about problems behind the scenes like that, you're not quite sure what you're going to get as the final product. Well, in, in the case of this, I just kind of feel like, hey, just leave it alone. The series is perfect as it is. <laughs> I don't yeah. need a live action version, and I certainly don't want a Game of Thrones version. Nope. So just leave The Last Airbender alone <laughs> and find something else. Maybe do something original. Mm, yeah. Maybe adapt something else that hasn't ever been done in visual form. Like, find a great weird comic book and adapt <laughs> that. They've done that with Umbrella Academy. They've done that mm -hmm. with Lock and Key. Yeah. There are other things I can't think of right now. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, the, the way I looked at Discovery, it's, again, it was a vague recollection of it being announced. And then years <laughs> went by. And I just thought the project was pretty much dead in the water. Mm. And then all of a sudden, it's got, like, it's on target for a release date and whatnot. And I'm like, wait, What? And then somehow, because of an appearance on the Twilight Zone podcast with my friend Tom, I ended up getting on a live reaction show for Star Trek Discovery. And I did that for season one and season two. So you just never know what's going to happen. Got your foot in the door, didn't it? I, I did get my foot in the door. It absolutely <laughs> did. And it taught me also that, hey, there are things that you can do that you don't need people's permission to do. If you want to go off and start your own podcast, you can do that. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, anyway, let's move on to actual discovery within our grasp and what it was like watching that for the first time. So, I'm going to start with Dave on this one. Uh, it kind of wrong-footed me at the start. Because there's the scene, they're on that planet, they're walking around that kind of desert area, and then it pulls out and you see that they've walked in the shape of the Star Trek insignia. Delta. The Delta, yeah. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm not sure what to think about that. I mean, I can kind of headcanon it afterwards. It's like, okay, I, I get that Captain Georgiou is, she's like the long game. Is She's going to walk and so it's going to seem aimless and then you pull out and you see that she had planned their route all along so they could see it from space and go nab them or whatever so it was a little odd for me but i can look you know retroactively at a, at a character choice as to why that would happen because at first it seemed like it was more a cinematic choice it was there as a visual and not for something story driven and that tends to upset me when they do something for cinematic purposes and not, not for story purposes. Okay, that's fair. Chris, you look like you have something to say. <laughs> Chris has something I to have say. some things to say. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, I was going to go back to when I first started hearing about Discovery real quick. Please when do. we got the test flight trailer. Mm -hmm. Remember the test flight? Vaguely. And how the ship looked. It looked very different. And I remember comparing that from when we actually got discovery and the changes that were made the test flight trailer 
looked a lot like to me, nine, more 90 era, 90s era Trek. And then when we got Discovery, it was a totally new evolution, which I was totally okay with. But from that test flight, my what I per, my perception of what it was going to be was totally different than what we actually got, which I loved. I know that people might not agree with me, but I think that the two first episodes of Discovery are the best series premieres of any Trek episode, of, of any Trek series. I love, I love, 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 love those episodes. And I remember I was so excited when they dropped. I was, I was like having a panic attack because I was so excited. I didn't (laughs) know what to do. And I kept having to stop, stop, stop it from playing like every 10 or 15 minutes because I was so overwhelmed. I was like, okay, let me catch my breath. Oh my gosh. 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 The whole time. And I was, I, I love the Delta in the sand. I think it was I mean, yeah, it's great cinematically, but I think it's it's beautiful because it was just like Star Trek is back, bitches, and <laughs> this is this is this is what it's about. There's a giant freaking Delta in the desert, you know, and I was ah, and the Shenzhou when it appeared, I and I fell in love with Giorgio from the very get go, and I had joined a listeners group on Facebook with all the other podcasts, and I started listening to you, Brandy, on podcasts. So it oh. was like. When Discovery started coming out, my entire Trek world and fandom exploded. And I met all these people and I got to experience Star Trek in a brand new way that I never had before, which was with, you know, social media and Facebook and Twitter and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like an explosion. I was I was so excited. And I still am. Can you tell? <laughs> yes, and that's a great thing. It's wonderful to be excited about Trek. Yeah. Especially new Trek. Yeah. Well, for me, the way that I was approached about the the live reaction show was, hey, are you excited about Star Trek Discovery? Actually, it was first, hey, are you a fan of Star Trek? Because I'd only been heard on the Twilight Zone for this person who was asking me. And uh, then the next sentence was, are you excited about Star Trek Discovery? And I thought, am I? Not 100% sure if I'm excited or not. And because I hadn't really been getting involved in any conversations or any social media stuff. But that changed very, very quickly when I was told, hey, we're looking for hosts for a live reaction show. Is that something you'd be interested in? And coming from the perspective of an improviser, which I have been an improviser since 2014 when I started doing that. And learning that and will always be a student of improv because you never stop learning. I said, yes, absolutely. I have no problem with doing a live show because that's <laughs> the nature of improv is that you're out there and it's in the moment. There are no do-overs. And I'm very <laughs> used to that kind of performance. And a live show is still kind of a performance. Yes, we're being ourselves, but it is still a performance level because you have to engage mm-hmm. the viewers. So uh, here's how I feel about the Delta in the sand. Uh, I, I actually thought about it at first. I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And then I realized that Giorgio was testing Michael during that entire thing. Because Karma. Michael's like, hey, we got to do this and this and this. And Giorgio's just saying, patience, you need to have patience. And she just keeps rambling on and on and on. She's in her head so much, she's not listening to what Giorgio is teaching her. Yeah. And and she's not aware of what's going on either. Mm-mm. It's that long game thing again. She's not noticing the route they're taking. They're not seeing the changes of 
you know, the course directions and such to create the delta in the sand. Yeah. She's just she's not, not paying, paying attention, attention to that. To and that's the thing. Each step, she's, yeah. Yeah, she needs wow. to... That's the thing, is Giorgio is trying to teach her how to be a good captain because she's number one. Michael is number one at this point. And she needs to mm-hmm. have those qualities in order to be a captain, which is what she was going for initially. And so Giorgio is doing her best to teach, but she's not the kind of person that just outright throws stuff in your face. She teaches Uh you Mm -hmm. through experience. And And she's patient. She's very patient. And that was probably one of the best lessons that Michael could ever have learned. And it's the first, our first real experience with these characters. And Michael's very like, sure of herself and wants to get everything done, wants to be ahead of every thought, wants to do everything in the right order. And there's like this control type of, you know, this need to control everything. Mm-hmm. You're kind of changing my thoughts about this a lot. That's cool. <laughs> this reminds me of a really bad joke. And it's about age and experience. Is that there's two cows on top of a hill. An old cow and a young cow. And the young cow goes to the old cow and says, let's run down that hill and screw one of those cows. And the old cow turns and looks at the young one, shakes his head and says, let's walk down that hill and screw all those cows. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so it's all about, you know, how you direct your energy. Mm-hmm. The young person's like, let's go, 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 go. And the young, or the older person's like, mm, just, you know, take your pace, you know, a little bit of caution, a little bit of preparation, and you can accomplish a whole lot more in the long run. And I think that's the the difference between, you know, Michael and Gergo. I, yeah, I I agree with that. And I think now that we know more of her history, which we don't get to see initially, we hear about her history. We get to see her history in season two, which I really appreciated because it was so much more visceral when you actually have visuals to go along with that. And once you, you know about her history, of course she tries to control everything. Her parents were killed, seemingly, when she was, like, mm-hmm. what, 12, 10 years old, 10 years old, 11 years old? And she had no control over her life at that point. And then she continues to be raised by Sarek and Amanda on Vulcan. And that's where the logical stuff starts taking over because that's how she controls things. She controls things by knowledge and by yeah. science. And not by emotions. And the problem is she's not a Vulcan. She's a human. And she needs to get back in touch with her emotions. So really, again, season one and season two, and I've said this before in other places, it's not just Discovery is the name of the ship. It's Michael's discovery of herself, her true self. Yeah. And she kind of used, now that you're saying that, it's like she grabbed on to this Vulcan logic as a way to cope with her trauma and her PTSD, yes. right? Yes. So like that became the thing that she could hold on to because she can she could control that. She could logic her way out of things. Mm-hmm. You know? And she mm. does logic her way out Which, of things. <laughs> yeah. Even in the season one in those first two episodes when she logics the computer into letting her out of the brig. Because if yeah. the computer doesn't let her out of the brig, she will die. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of interesting things there. So, yeah, after the premiere, which honestly, they should have just made it one big episode instead of breaking it up into two. Mm. Just make it a movie length episode. It's fine. Uh, After that, I was really excited. 
for the rest of the season and to get to know all of these new characters. It made a really big impact on me very early. And actually, the weekend that it premiered was FanX in Salt Lake City in 2017. So FanX happened on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then Discovery premiered on Sunday, the 24th of September, if I remember correctly, in 2017. And Larry Nemechek was at this fan X. And so I got to meet him for the first time. (laughs) And he, Larry, oh, Larry, he, he's a brilliant guest on any show because all you have to do is set him down and wind him up and he'll, he'll be good. You you can just (laughs) do the whole podcast himself if you want. Always has great things to say. Always has insight that nobody else has because he worked on track, you guys. (laughs) He worked on Trek. He has been on set and he has that experience, but also he's, he's just really positive about it too. And I remember yeah. going to his panels at FanX and talking about the negative fan reactions that had happened so far and then showing everyone, Hey, look, this has happened with every Trek since T and G. Right. And here is the right. proof. And he had all of these fan letters and they, they were just, the same thing over and over again, only the title of the show changed, really. So Right, right. That's something that I pointed out on, uh, or that was brought up in one of the other, one of the shows that I host on the network. And it was like, oh, yeah, as opposed as, you know, oh, it's so different. The reaction to Star Trek Discovery is so different because people didn't like it at first, just like Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Picard and, and Enterprise, you know, everything. And yeah. Enterprise, every movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. I uh, that is how it is. And Discovery is also a pioneer in that it's the first show that was on it was behind a paywall, which still makes people very angry and I don't understand why. Because we've been paying for Trek all of this time, but somehow if you have to pay for a separate service for it, it's just a deal breaker. I mean, we've been paying separate services for all sorts of shows yeah. for a very long time mm-hmm. now, you know? Yeah, it's it's $10 for me because I get the no commercials option. Same. $10 a month. Of course. And yeah, I can easily find $10 a month in the budget every month. It's not hard to do. And I understand that there are people out there that might actually not be able to do that, especially in these times. I get that. But those aren't the people who are complaining about it being behind a paywall. (laughs) No, it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so that's, that's sort of a new thing. But also, this is the first trek we've had in an age of social media besides the movies. Right. So, yeah, the fan reaction is immediate and sometimes offensive. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just the things that people would criticize, I just don't get it. Yeah. The Like the yeah. style of the ship and, oh, I don't like this part of the ship or that part of the ship. And I just thought, really? This mm-hmm. is the hill you're going to die on. Okay. I interviewed David Mack for, for an upcoming episode of There Are Four Questions. And he was talking about how you know, as a creative, it's like, you know, if you don't like something and you t- you talk about stuff like this all the time, Brandy, but if you don't like something, don't knock other creative people for doing what they love to do and for expressing their creativity, you know, don't watch it if you don't like it, but don't tear down other people because they're, 
they're creating, you know, that's so unkind. It really, really is. Never go up to a person who has created something and tell them how much you don't like it. That is just a dick move. Yeah. And it's okay if you don't like it, but, you know, that's sacred work. You know, when you're putting your own creative self out there, mm -hmm. it's so, it's, first of all, it's such an honor to be able to do that. And then to have a whole group of, group of people just kind of tear you down for it is like, ouch. Yeah, it's... It's not cool, and it's very, very immature. Very, very immature. It's toxic. So it's like if I were to go up to people like that and say, oh, man, gosh, I really just don't like your face. You know, I just really <laughs> wish that you didn't have that face. So, you know, you should do something about that. <laughs> it's just like, why would you do that to a person? Mm, no respect. No respect. I also really just hate the general disrespect for people in the creative and entertainment industries because they think yeah. somehow they're not allowed to have opinions or political views or have intelligence of any kind that if you work on a TV show, you must be some kind of idiot because you couldn't do anything better than that. I was like, you don't have any idea idea what it's like to work on something like that so why don't you stay in your lane and right exactly just uh, talk about things that you know instead of barking at people about things that you don't understand <laughs> okay sorry um actually i'm not sorry i'm not sorry because this no. oh. this is part of the problem of social media is this immediate knee-jerk response without actually thinking of the effects of your actions and words. Uh-huh. And I'm I'm interacting with a person, <laughs> with another person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, an actual human being with thoughts and hopes and dreams and feelings. Oh, guys. Just, yeah. I just want to, I just want to take all of the Trek creatives and just envelop them in this big hug and just... Say, it's okay. It's okay. We know your worth. We know your worth. You know your worth. Don't let those trolls get you down. Yeah. Because it's, you know, no matter how well adjusted, well adjusted a person you are, that thing is still going to bother you on some level for a little while. Yeah. What's crazy is the number of people criticizing Trek that you look into what they're all about and they tend to be maybe racist or misogynistic, or they're pro-fascist. There are all these things that aren't Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And it makes you wonder what attracts them to Star Trek as a franchise, because it's not any of that. You know, it's a very inclusive, very positive, hopeful, very socialist future. <gasps> so, you said the S oh word. God. I did. <laughs> well, it's like, why are you... Yeah, why are you hating... On people that are different than you, I don't get mm -hmm. it. And you're Star Trek fans, you know. I don't. I don't understand. It's not my Star Trek. When did they ever start putting politics in? Yeah. Since when? When know, did Star Trek become so political? Star Trek. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, like, in, well, uh, since the beginning. Day one, basically. 1966. <laughs> That's when. I have a theory regarding this: is that I think as children. When they watched Star Trek, all they saw was spaceships and aliens and starship battles. The politics and the social commentary were above their heads. Right. And so when they come to Star Trek later on, 
suddenly there's all this context about the story there that wasn't there before because they didn't understand it as a Right. Because and then they get offended by it. Yeah, because we, I mean, our social consciousness, even though we're in a dark time right now, it has gotten better over over time. This is not a great example at the moment, but <laughs> it has improved, you know. And so I think that as we have evolved, there are things that were, you know, like you said, like that were just above the majority of people's heads at the time. And so as we continue to evolve a little bit more, we look back and we have our current day lens on something that happened back then and now we look back and it's like wow this was really ahead of its time this was talking about all the important things that we're trying to do now still and so when people start realizing hey wait a minute they're talking about equal rights what (laughs) you know they're talking about social justice yeah it has wanted to be even more progressive but it was the producers yeah, who prevented it because they didn't want to have any advertisers leave them and they didn't want to offend a certain amount of the viewership. So there's times when, you know, Star Trek could have been even more progressive and more inclusive and it just got shut down. Yeah, it wanted things. to be like as as an as a as an entity, Star Trek wanted to be, but people wouldn't let it. And looking at Discovery, how diverse and inclusive and progressive it is as a television series it's probably the closest to what star trek has meant to be all along and that so many people can't see that is a bit odd that's that's true i i will say this when i was a child i actually was getting those social justice messages and the one that struck me the most I'm a sensitive child. The <laughs> one that struck me the most was Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. That mm. one actually destroyed me as a little girl because I knew exactly what they were talking about. They were talking about racism. And I knew that and I understood that and I could feel that. And I was taught from a very young age that racism was wrong, that everybody is the same under their skin, that everybody deserves the same chances in life which is really odd with a mother from arkansas and a dad from idaho that i would get those kind of <laughs> yeah. teachings right. especially living yeah. in utah <laughs> very conservative republican state and uh, but that that's not the way things were in our house as far as you know equality so that's really amazing you're very you're very fortunate. I am. I know that I am. And <laughs> it's because of those teachings when I was young that I grew up to be the outspoken brassy woman that I am today. Meanwhile, I had to discover those progressive ideals living in a mostly kind of racist and conservative oh, Lord, family. Yeah. So I had to become like the black sheep of the family to be able to you know, have more progressive, more democratic ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, similar. I experienced a lot of, I mean, I was really unfortunate because, like I said, my dad was in the military, so we moved around a lot. So I was exposed to a lot of different kinds of people. I was. I always lived in very diverse areas. So I got a lot of my worldly views from being in the world around different people. But in the household, it was much more conservative. So I had the things that I was learning that I was identifying with and then the things that I was being taught. And, you know, my parents were not explicitly racist or sexist or anything like that. But there were 
they had much more conservative ideals than I did, even at a young age. So, you know, I had this cognitive dissonance of two things going on, something that I really loved that I was experiencing and then raised to think a little bit differently. So Starshuck was that place where I was like, I get this. I fit in here. Like, I, I, this, is, this is the world I want. This, this, these are the kind of people I want to be around. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I agree. All right. So um, what are we we're talking, talking about? We're talking about <laughs> Discovery and how it has revolutionized yeah. the, the world of Trek and paved the way. Oh, my God. And, you know, <laughs> forget about it. You know, this is a, another whole, a whole nother topic. But, you know, just seeing actual gay people mm-hmm. with no asterisks, you know, gay with yeah. no asterisks on screen. Finally, it's like, nice. I mean, I was in tears in season one when we first saw Culber and Stamets together and I was just like oh my god oh my god and I think Discovery represents that for a lot of people mm-hmm. in many ways people can finally see themselves in Star Trek f- more fully yeah I know Brandy with Tilly I mean you identify w- with her very well on several levels yep mm-hmm. awkward word vomit when I get nervous <laughs> Uh, <laughs> curvy. Very intelligent. Was a weird kid. <laughs> Very emotional. I love love and I love to be loved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, All the I do everything from a place of love. And I'm going to be a captain someday. <laughs> you just watch. <laughs> and I have Lorca. Yep. You're a Lorca boy. <laughs> oh, God. It's being kind of you prickly like and Lorca. misanthropic and... <laughs> That's because I like Jason Isaacs so much. Mm. Oh, yeah. I really adore him as an actor. And he's playing the character so counter to his actual personality. He's really dorky and lovable and very progressive. I mean, yeah. If you see him on Twitter with his politics, he's very much on the opposite direction as Lorca. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, and that was that was the funny thing. When we got to meet Jason Isaacs last year... And this was right after Dark Crystal had come out and was it probably oh. about a week, two weeks after Dark Crystal had come out and Age of Resistance, I should say. And uh, he was so surprised by how everyone was just loving this. He's like, I just went in and I did a job and I had no idea that it was going to be yeah. this well received. For Star Trek or Dark, Dark Crystal? Crystal? For Dark Crystal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he oh my knew. God. He knew Star uh-huh. Trek would be a big yeah. deal. Uh, well, Dark, when Dark Crystal Age of Resistance came out, Brand, I was messaging you, mm-hmm. Brandy, constantly during every single episode I watched because, you know, I watched it in like a weekend and I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I just, you know, that was and then all the voices mm. in, in it. Amazing. And Deet. Oh, yeah. Deet. Deet. My Deet. I've got my Deet right over there on a shelf. <laughs> just Nice. We have Funko Pop deets. Yes, you yeah. sent me that deet, and you sent me a Tilly yes. fan sets pin, and that started me down this road. That <laughs> I now have so many. I've got like twenty five of them now. <laughs> yeah, and still counting. Yeah, discovery. But yeah, when we met uh, Jason Isaacs, we did talk a little bit about politics, and but but the thing that I said, I said, Dave, tell him what you came here to say. <laughs> he said, Yeah, you're my favorite captain, <laughs> and. And then they just talked about Lorca for a bit, and they were just—it was just great. And he said, "Well, you know, when it comes right down to it, Lorca gets shit done, <laughs> and that's the truth." It's true. He's Star Trek's first war captain. He's there specifically because of the war. Mm-hmm. 
that's very interesting. We haven't really had that before. We've already had the explorers, the diplomats, all these other, you know, characters that are not there specifically for combat. Like he's like literally, yeah, in the mm-hmm. war. Yeah, he's basically a general right. or an admiral. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and he he honestly does a good job, really. Uh, oh, yeah. doing what needs to be done so can't really fault him for that i i honestly i'll I'll tell you guys right now i would love to see prime lorca turn up in strange worlds mm-hmm. that would bring me such joy and i know there are people who don't want to see that and i don't care because i do i care i want to see it. <laughs> i want to see, yeah. see how differently he plays him more than anything yeah. else, because that dude can do anything. Jason Isaacs yep. can make me believe anything, and I want to see how He's he does phenomenal. Prime Lorca. I want to. I want to know. Well, he was Lucius Malfoy, so mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you get him, you want to get him for a heavy because he's so good at it. But yeah, and don't get me started on the OA. I can't oh, hear oh, wow. with his work on the OA. Well, that was his favorite project, especially in season two. That was his most favorite project. He has said that in Some many good panels. Television. So I guess we'll see what happens when Strange New Worlds finally arrives. But uh, yeah, yeah, Lorca. Oh, Jason. Do you find it odd that it took like to what episode three to actually be on the Discovery? No, I didn't. No, I wasn't worried about it. (laughs) What I loved was that we got this really specific tone that was painted for us in episodes one and two. Mm hmm. And then, you know, we see the the trial when, when Michael is sentenced at the very end of, se- of episode two. And then when season three starts, complete tonal shift. Yeah. The coloring of the, you know, the, the coloring of the film and, and everything, everything had changed. Like it was a total change of tone. And so I was just like, where are we? What's going on? What's happening? This is, this is, feels like a totally different show now. And it, it was, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I thought was cool and i love i i love first of all that the focus is a black woman i love second of all that she's not a Mm -hmm. captain and i love third of all that in the end of episode two she is court-martialed and put in prison and you are just left going what the what Mm -hmm. where how what it's everything (laughs) every move they made was unexpected and I just loved that. I loved not being able to predict what was going to happen. I just thought, oh no, this will be fine. She's not good. Oh, oh, she's being, oh, she's being court-martialed. She's in the brig. Okay. 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 How are we yeah. going to get her out of this one? <laughs> I loved that she's so imperfect. Like she screwed stuff up. Mm-hmm. She did bad, wrong things. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> she thought she, her intent didn't matter like she she screwed stuff up yeah (laughs) you know and i love that she did screw up and here's the thing i i said this many moons ago when i talked about this on the live show the live reaction show but she was right about the vulcan hello Mm -hmm. however how she went about trying to accomplish that was absolutely wrong and right. so if your commanding officer says, no, we're not going to do that, then you're not going to do that. Yes, yeah. she did her part as the, you know, the second officer. First officer. You, or first officer. See, I told you, casual fan. <laughs> um, it's okay. You've got, you've got it. 
between the two of us, I'm sure we can correct you along the way just fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's fine. her role is to offer alternatives, mm-hmm. and it's up to the captain to decide to run with that or not. You sure. don't get to override the captain just because you have this hunch that might work better, even if it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a mutiny. Yeah, that mm-hmm. well, she, she is a mutineer. She did the Vulcan nerve pinch on her commanding officer. She physically mm-hmm. attacked. She assaulted. Her com- her, yeah, she assaulted yeah. her commanding officer, and that's yeah, that's get, gonna get you in prison for the rest of your life. So she she was just again she was operating more on logic and not thinking about really the consequences that she was she was so certain that she was right that she was willing to commit mutiny in order to accomplish her goal. And honestly that's actually in some ways logical but that is when you set logic on the back burner and actually look at the situation you're in who you're dealing with uh-huh. and the reality that of your of what your actions might produce. It's similar to what she did with Spock when he was a little boy, when mm-hmm. they were kids, you know? She yeah. she was she broke him. She broke his heart. She was mean. Mm-hmm. She said mean things trying to protect him. Mm-hmm. But still she, you know, yeah. She 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 hurt him. But and that was something that a child would do. That is something a child yeah. wouldn't understand exactly how that's going to affect someone on a long term basis. And in a way, she hasn't grown out of that in those mm-hmm. first two episodes of Discovery season one. So she's she's got a lot of growing to do, and boy, do we see a lot of growing happen over the next two seasons. Yeah. So, oh yeah, well, it's really crazy that early on in her story arc to have the Dark Knight of the Soul is like you put her at rock bottom on the second episode, <laughs> and then it becomes mm-hmm. a redemption story from then on. And again, with the title Discovery about you know it's discovering yourself, it's also discovering your family. Is that over the series? the Discovery crew becomes a family, and it's little by little because at first, Lorca's is like that uh, dysfunctional dad. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. family's not cohesive as long as he's there. You have to remove Lorca from that group for everybody to become a cohesive crew. And it really doesn't become the Discovery crew proper until Pike shows up in the second series. Ah, uh, Pike. Yeah. Oh, and then he leaves too, so... Yeah, so it's, they're just like it's, rolling with the punches, like a little ragtag <laughs> family, you know, a little little group of orphans. And you know? who was the captain who was waiting on Vulcan? I don't know. What happened? We'll never know. I guess <laughs> what happened? No, there needs to be captain? a novel. Did they... They're still waiting there, guys. <laughs> Y'all coming? Uh, <laughs> hey, we were supposed to have this other guy transfer in and uh, teach at the Vulcan Academy, but he decided not to, and now apparently his ship blew up. So hey, what are you doing right now? <laughs> yeah, because it was could have been to Paul. Yeah, do you remember we were talking? We were like, it could have been to Paul. It's it's maybe. possible. Oh. She she would have <laughs> still she could Vulcans have long lives. She could have still been alive. Yeah. She was very young. She was 66 at the time yeah. of the episode Carbon Creek, which, if I remember correctly, was in the beginning of season two. So, 
I can appreciate Saru even more, even though I have my own issues with this story. I think they kind of kept changing the direction of what his race was exactly. <laughs> and yeah. it was hard to keep up with the pace in which they did that. But if you think of him as the older brother that takes like the leadership in the family role when the parents away, I think he huh. fits that role because really he's he's a member of that that family, the Discovery family, but anytime there's no captain, it seems like Saru steps up and fills that that position. Mm-hmm. And then steps down again because he knows, you know, he's not the true parent. Somebody else, you know, that's that seat's for somebody else. He's just keeping it warm, I guess. Yeah, we still don't know who that seat's for. <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll find out in season three. Yeah. Mm. So, well, we've been having quite the discussion. Yeah, but I think this is fun. It is fun. <laughs> and we could go on for another hour, but I don't totally. I don't know that we're going to do that. Actually, I know we're not going to do that. So <laughs> uh, in the coming weeks, we are going to do a couple of season retrospectives and just talk yes. about season one as a whole and season two as a whole and the storyline going through there. And when Discovery starts airing on October oh 15th, we are going to be weekly and covering each episode as it happens. And if you've heard me on previous Discovery podcasts, you know that there is a thing now of at what point did Brandy cry? So <laughs> we are going to keep watch. Uh, Brandy cry watch will be a thing. <laughs> so. Cry watch. <laughs> Brandy cry watch. Yeah, because I cried uh, in every single episode of season two and many of season one. In fact, going back through season one, I have had more intense emotional reactions than I did the first time I watched these episodes. I know, me too. Especially for some reason, see we pack and parabellum really just affected me on a whole different level than when it originally aired. And I came to some startling conclusions and insights about Saru and about myself. <laughs> so Really? Yeah. Well, you know, that's yeah. one of my favorite episodes of season one. Yeah, it is. Uh, you, you get a bit it's of a beautiful. taste of what Saru would be like without that fear all the time. And I honestly think that the, the story of Saru and the threat ganglia and him meaning, you know, the whole race meaning it, they were meant to be something else. I think that they had that in mind from the first season. We just didn't get a lot of development on that until season two. And hmm. I, I'm okay with that because the, the threat ganglia were problematic because there were times we felt that it should have gone off and mm-hmm. didn't. <laughs> so but Times it, that they came out when it was like... Does it really make sense now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like, I, why is it not showing up with Lorca every time? Well, they, and see, that's the <laughs> thing. I think it has to do with also the person's perception. Writing. So right. That, that, like, the, like Saru's perception of what is dangerous and what is not. That's fair, because there are times when people have fooled me, mm-hmm. and I am oh. can generally be fairly aware of when someone is probably a threat Mm -hmm. and then i've been complete my threat ganglia sure didn't alert me yeah or i ignored them you know Mm -hmm. yeah that sounds more like a reflex like something has to stimulate it for it to go off and if you're not stimulated it's not gonna happen i i feel that's my head canon explanation 
Yeah, I so like it. I'm just going to go with that. So, yeah, uh, look forward to in our next episode, which I think right now we're going to be every other week until October 15th. And we will go back through season one. We'll go back through season two. Brandy will try not to cry during the season two retrospective, but no guarantees. <laughs> and uh, and then season three will be upon us. <sighs> Just oh my breathe, god, I'm going to cry in the first episode. I know I'm going to cry right <laughs> away in the first episode. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Because, just, yeah. yeah. Just Michael's hair alone. <laughs> oh my god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I have my Michael season three pin on today. So yes, I, I love it. I just, uh, yeah. Sonequa Martin-Green is glorious, no matter what kind of hair mm-hmm. she's got. But Oh yeah. But that, we've just never seen her quite like that, and it's, it is glorious. It's, it's, I just got my Giorgio fan sets. That's the one that I ordered this last week. I got mine so, too. Mine was I got I got all the jazz. <laughs> I got I got a couple of jazzia because I got the ladies uh, of Trek or the women of Trek one, oh, yeah. and then I got the the standard jazzia, and I got a couple of Janeway. One is Queen Arachnia, and one that's Admiral Janeway, <gasps> and then I got Giorgio, and I mean the original Giorgio, not Emperor Giorgio. So yes, same. I'm, I'm working towards Emperor Giorgio. I'm going through all the for all the ladies, all the ladies, and there's the Janeway version too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't one of them mind. have a coffee mug? Yes, there's there's uh, the one, the Janeway that I have, I have two Janeways. I have the Admiral, no, three, the Admiral Arachnia and holding the coffee cup, the shorter hair. I don't have the version one of Janeway yet. That's the one I have. Yeah. 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 I'm getting there. Getting there. <laughs> Progress. Yeah. Progress, not perfection. Oh, they're right. so cheap. <laughs> they, it, oh, I just, uh, it's just... I'm sorry I'm staring at all my pins right now you guys because <laughs> <laughs> I'm all against the magnetic strip yeah oh wait and you also so if y'all don't know what we're talking about it's the fan sets pins and you can pin them to your clothes or wherever you want but you soldered down the pins right and well no I wasn't soldering magnets I, I ground okay I I'm sorry, people at Fansets. Don't hate me. I love your products, (laughs) but I hate pins. Maybe I shouldn't have said something. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Because I really honestly think that they're going to move to a magnetic base in the near future. They've been kind of hinting at that for a while. But uh, what I've done, what I do when I get the pins is I break off the prongs from the back. And I have a, a rotary tool. So I grind down the nubs that are, remain of the pins until they're flush with the back of the pin. And most of the pins are already magnetized. And so they will just, magnets will just automatically stick to them. Some are not. And with those, I, I glue magnets to the backs of them and then use those, you know, magnets on the back and then magnets on the inside of my shirt. And that way it doesn't put holes in my shirt and I can wear them on more delicate clothing. Mm. And that really helps with some of the bigger pins as well, because those can, you know, holes with that kind of weight attached to them can really put a dent in your clothing. So, uh, yeah, and it works quite well. I found some really strong magnets for not a whole lot of money on, on Amazon. And uh, so, yeah, I've, uh, I'm have i in the process of gra- grinding down all those nubs. I've got like 25 of them now, so it's not the fastest process in the world. <laughs> but. I think that's awesome. I love a woman with a power tool. I I love using the rotary tool. I feel so manly. Just that sound of the grinding. Oh, yeah. Makes me feel so masculine. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I can't do that noise. Only men can do that noise. So, but yeah, I do. Randy like, the tool man, Jacola. Yeah, I do, I do enjoy yeah. power tools. I do. So anyway, I think we should wrap this up. And yeah, okay. uh, I know we could, like I said, we could have this conversation for another hour about just all the things in discovery. But, you know, we have to give the listeners some more episodes. So let's yeah. let's not <laughs> I'm not gonna say that out loud. Let's not give away all the secrets up front. What I was <laughs> actually going to say is let's not shoot our wad in the first episode. Right. <laughs> but I'm not gonna say Don't blow our load. Yeah, I may not edit that out actually. <laughs> so all right, so what would people think? I know. Uh, so, so let's uh, let's go to you, Chris. Tell me your thoughts about doing this journey with me and with Dave. <laughs> well, you are one of my favorite people and one of my closest were. friends. So, <laughs> did I say were? You are. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were one of my favorite people until until now. <laughs> no, you are one of my favorite people, and uh, I'm so excited that we get to talk about discovery together. Of course, I love Dave because he loves you, and I love. This is the first podcast I've, that I've ever done that I don't have to just man at the helm. So the other ones that I do, I have to kind of be hostess with the mostest all the time and control all the things and this is cool because we just get to talk about stuff we like and i haven't really done that regularly before only as a guest yeah well now we're gonna do so i can't wait mm-hmm. i can't wait excellent and tell people where they can find you on the internets well you can find me on twitter and instagram at cd littlefield and then my other two shows that i do for the for hollow suite media our open channel, you can find that at Open Channel Trek on Twitter and Instagram. And the other one is There Are Four Questions. And you can find that one on Instagram and Twitter at Four Questions Trek. And that's the number four not spelled out. And I love both of those shows. There Are Four Thank Questions. You. Uh, you've had some amazing guests on There Are Four Questions. And I, it just kind of is becoming its own thing. Like I just had the concept, remember, mm -hmm. like a year ago at another network. And I was just like, oh, this will just be cute to like interview other podcast hosts and get to know them better. And then all of a sudden it's like becoming this, it's becoming its own thing, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm having a great time doing it. Yeah, you've gotten to meet some people that I've never come within a spitting distance. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, please check out uh, There Are Four Questions mm -hmm. if you like. The first episode is Jeff Rousseau, composer of Discovery and Picard, and it's a really great conversation. It really, really is. Just check it out, period. Check them both out. Do it. Not right now. Wait until this podcast is over. Then go do that. <laughs> All right, Dave. How do you feel about uh, being on this journey? <laughs> I'm really happy to be on this crew. I think you're going to be an excellent <laughs> captain for the to fly the ship and uh, discussing. I mean, I think this debut episode's already proven what we can talk about when it comes to Discovery and what it offers as a series. So I'm excited to see where the discussion goes from here. You know, when we get into the meat of the matter of not just individual episodes, but you know, season series one and series two. 
So, yeah, I am super excited. I had a lot of fun this time around. You could probably tell. (laughs) So, yeah, I love talking Discovery with the two of you, and I look forward to more. And where can people find you on the interwebs? Okay, on Twitter, I'm Dark Cornercast. Um, On Facebook, I have kind of a fan page for DJ Evil Dave. I post, like, music that I'm currently listening to, you know. Just a song comes in my head. It's like, oh, I should post the video to that. Um, I also host with Brandy the Dark Corner podcast, and that's at darkcornerpodcast.com. You can find it on Apple Podcasts as well. And we're two gothy types, and we kind of talk about whatever we want, but it's usually geeky. There's usually news and reviews and talk about video games and some occult things like tarot and zodiac and fun stuff like that. So, yeah, check that out. Yeah. Okay, as for me, uh, I... Get ready for this list. (laughs) I'm not quite at the list part yet. Uh, I really just... I'm so excited and frankly humbled that I get the chance to do a podcast about my favorite show <laughs> because yes. discovery is my favorite trek and which doesn't mean i love the any the others any less but just the inclusion level puts it over the top for me and bringing back spock you, i will always 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 uh, love that beardy spock oh god beardy spock Got a picture of him there and there, and there's clean shaven Spock behind me. Uh, Rearview EV suit Spock. <laughs> oh yeah, fan of that. Uh huh. <laughs> so much. It's not. It's not just the posterior. It's also the the thighs. It's just the thighs. Wow. Oh, Thick thighs save just lives. Finely, very finely shaped human. Um. <laughs> so it's uh it's slightly intimidating to be a showrunner. I'm not used to that when it comes to Trek, but I will rise to the occasion, and I am thrilled that we just have the freedom to do what we want to do here, and I think that's the thing I'm most looking forward to, is just covering Discovery the way that we want to, with no one saying, "Uh, no, you can't do that. (laughs) So, (laughs) I really appreciate that. And here's where you can find me. Uh, Dark Corner Podcast, like Dave said. Also on darkcornerpodcast.com, you can find Headcanon, which was mentioned earlier, which is a strange uh, fan fest trip through my brain. And I talk about different fandoms there. Trek will enter into it time and again, of course, but I like to cover the other things that I love as well. Sometimes it might be a video game. Sometimes it might be wrestling. <laughs> yes, I have a lot of varied interests. And uh, also here on Hall Sweet Media, you can find me at the Vedic Assembly with my friends Nick and Liam talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And we're on all the socials as Vedic Assembly. That it goes for Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I also do a podcast with my friend Suzanne called Boldly Go, a Star Trek Strange yes. New Worlds podcast where we're talking about <laughs> That's the a new good series. Show. <laughs> so good. We're, we're having a great time. And I think you can tell that in our first episode. And it's only going to get more fun. And uh, we're we're not super regular with that one right now because we don't want to run out of content <laughs> before the show comes out. So we're kind of doing that one every four to six weeks. But you can find that at Boldly Go Pod on all the socials. 
And uh, I also do a live show. I do two live shows, actually. I do one on a Friday night called The Unready Room with my friend Dan (laughs) Gunther. Right now we are covering Lower Decks and really having a fun time with that. And you can find that on Dan's YouTube channel, which is Kurt Ratz Productions. Kurt Ratz is Star Trek spelled backwards in case that trips some people up. And uh, that is uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. I do a live show on Twitch on Saturdays <laughs> at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern with my friend Aaron Harvey, which is called Infinite Trek. And you can find that on the channel Outpost 13, which is just the word Outpost and the number 13. And we are also covering Lower Decks kind of from a different angle, though. The two conversations are not the same at all. So, yeah. you know, it's... Uh, that's the thing. It was when you podcast with different people, you have different conversations, and it's a totally different show, even if the subject matter is the same. So, mm-hmm. uh, you can find that there on the Twitch on the Outpost Thirteen channel, and that's every Saturday. Did I say that it was Saturday? It's Saturday. It's Saturday at eleven a.m. Pacific, two p.m. Eastern. I think that's it. I think that's it. And and I'm here doing this. And you're here. I'm doing yes. it right now. I'm doing a lot of stuff. Also- <laughs> I just want to say that the name for this show is so awesome. Like, you knocked it out of the park with that. I love oh, the name of the this show. Thank you. Well, I don't yeah, I perfect. don't know why that was the thing that I thought of, but it just came into my brain. And especially since it's a Spock quote, it really is close to my heart. In fact, I'm wearing a Spock mm-hmm. shirt that Me too. Says, it says it. Let us see what oh. the future holds. Mm-hmm. Love so. it got my spock pin right here and yeah uh guys i like spock um i don't know if you've noticed (laughs) (laughs) Nah. (laughs) all right then so join us again in a couple of weeks for episode two of what the future holds where we'll start that journey through season one of star trek discovery and see what our own personal journeys are going to bring to that conversation so thank you for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon this show is brought to you by hollow sweet media Computer. List other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. During the whole lockdown around the world, Enterprise is having a surge in popularity. I don't know if you've seen it. That's what I've been hearing. It's crazy, like the Facebook groups, Twitter, everyone is talking about Enterprise, and I didn't realize so many Trek fans had never even watched it. It's nuts. People call themselves lifelong Trekkies who've never watched it and are loving it now. I said to someone a week or two ago, I said, look, I'm so glad that you're finally getting around to watching it and enjoying it. But where were you guys (laughs) 15 years ago when we need did you when the show is on the edge then ultimately got cancelled loading hollow suite preview program for there are four questions a star trek spotlight podcast i imagine also being a writer and growing up having fallen in love with star trek and then being able to combine your craft with that is is just an amazing thing to experience it really is it's an incredible feeling to be part of star trek not just in an ancillary manner, writing for the tie-ins, but to have been able to contribute 
to the shows, at least in some small way, to have contributed to the canon of this phenomenon. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Starbase One, a Star Trek online podcast. I don't really think that's a good idea. I order you to do it right now. Warning. The structural integrity field has collapsed. This is Admiral Quinn. You will be assigned to Starbase One. Welcome to Starbase One. I'm Colin. I'm Admiral Aaron. I'm Dave. I'm Steve. And I'm Tom. Starbase One is a dedicated Star Trek Online podcast. If you're a first-time listener, hello. If you're a dedicated decade listener and you've been wondering where the hell we are, we're back. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.